In these bleak days, humanity is at a breaking point. Economies are tanking. The woke mob is canceling everything. And the little guy who's just trying to run a small business is getting screwed from both ends. But not all is lost. Amidst the chaos, two men offer up their voices in the darkness, dropping 2,000-pound laser-guided truth bombs on today's lunacy. Introducing the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham and L. Bradley Sheaf. Well, there it is, Brad. Age of confusion. I am, of course, uh, a little bit confused. I'm out here on the road trying to digest uh, this, uh, the big midterm elections, the red wave that wasn't talking to the man in the street. Um, and what comes to mind, there are a lot of confused people out there right now, a lot of prognosticators, pundits, some uh, ex-politicians at Mar-a-Lago um, trying to figure out what exactly happened uh here and there's no better anthem for that than the great genesis song from 1986 with phil collins and i believe Jimi hendrix played guitar on that one you may have yeah i believe it, it is an age of confusion i think the name of the song is actually land of confusion but we live in a land and an age of confusion so any of that will do hendrix was great on that track there are maybe i'm a people. little confused i mean i could well, be that I'm confused it, about the the, the whole it could thing be, buddy but i i mean it's disturbing times and i think that you know most people don't think when they're trying to make a hit maybe i can use a dead guitarist for this but many dead guitarists are still very good and so i think genesis taking a risk with Jimi hendrix there was uh was bold and obviously it paid off and as you point out but it is clearly the anthem for uh where we live and in the time in which we live, I am holding down the fort here at IP Frequently Headquarters. You have bravely taken it upon yourself to head out on the road and try and get a few things figured out. And uh, what have you found to this point? Well, listen, I found, uh, and, and as you know, I'm out uh, and about in some of the key swing districts in our, in our great country. Um, so the quality might not, the quality of sound may not sound the best as our crews put this big, boom mic in front of me as I move around. And as you know, I move rather quickly. So trying to keep that mic in front of me uh, where we'll get optimal sound is not an easy thing. But I found some very confused uh, Republican state workers, uh, a pile of MAGA hats that just seem to have been discarded on the side of the road. And, um, and, and, and in general, a lot of people that are asking a lot more questions today than they were yesterday because they are very very confused. Everything from uh, what seems to be a very, very small Republican win in the House of only a few seats to um, the the uh, the guy who can't talk getting millions of votes in Pennsylvania and beating the uh, uh, Dr. Oz. Herschel Walker going out there comparing himself to Ricky Bobby in what appeared to be a victory speech, even though he's behind. Um, and uh, of course, Donald Trump, uh, apparently throwing fits of uh, rage at uh, Mar-a-Lago at his aides as pretty much all of his candidates, except a couple, went down in flames. So uh, that that's sort of what I'm seeing here on the uh, on the street. Well, buddy, I think your view from the street is uh, is not much different from the view back at headquarters as we have the big board 
up here in front of us. And I, I just, some things just never change. And, you know, maybe I should not find them amusing. Maybe they're just darkly amusing, but I, I love the fact that Donald Trump seems to find a way to come out on top, at least in his own mind, no matter what happens, right? If he, uh, you know, was for a candidate and that candidate won, well, then obviously that victory is attributable to him. But if the candidate lost, it's, you know, it's because of something, you know, dumb in his mind that they did. People have stopped thinking about how we create a, the most efficient and effective government so that this country can be governed. And it's all about tests of orthodoxy. And so, I mean, I guess this is what you get. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, dissecting all this and looking at uh, um, the results, the, the, the quality of candidates um, that the Republicans fielded this year in a year that they should have been really winning some of these races is is astounding, right? I mean, you, you've got the Dr. Oz guy who lost to Fetterman who can't complete a sentence. I mean, literally can't complete a sentence, just had a stroke. Um, he couldn't he couldn't beat him because he, he was not likable. Right. It was not likable. The, the crazy woman out in Arizona yelling at uh, reporters all the time. Um, that's not that's not helpful. You've got, uh, you know, Herschel Walker down there in Georgia with it. Last count, five women came forward saying that he he intimidated them and paid for their abortions over the years. Um, and so who's picking all these candidates? You know, it's obviously it was former President Trump. And when they all lose, that's where the that, that to me, that's where the uh, burden should fall. But at the end of the day, if Dr. Oz is in the Senate or Fetterman, I, I don't think it really matters from a policy perspective either way, because either way, you're going to get sort of an institutionalist in there. You're going to get the debt ceiling raised and maybe you'll block a few more judges. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think the quality of candidates on both sides is atrocious. And um, it, 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 it's just sort of telling that the, all these races the Republicans spent hundreds of millions of dollars on just fell flat. All I mean, pretty much all of them. And to me, there are sort of two things you need to do. One is sort of a uh, an autopsy on what went wrong. And I think that's pretty apparent what went wrong. And then, OK, if you're going to have the House and not the Senate, how do you govern? Or what bills do you send up? Uh, are you going to spend the next two years going after Hunter Biden's laptop? Now, my fear is what's going to happen is bitter partisanship, a lot of crazy people investigating things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And then a Trump candidacy being announced pretty soon, which is just going to take all the oxygen out of the room and leave us with Trump Biden coming up in a couple of years. Well, but I mean, again, I, I, I completely agree with everything you said there to include agreeing with your prognostications, right? I mean, I think, I think Lindsey Graham said last night, or somebody said that they expected Trump to announce within a week that he's going to run for president. And like you said, it's just, that will be the only thing that matters going forward, right? I mean, even though it's going to be two years before that election actually takes place, you know, anytime, even if, a Republican House were to somehow, and I don't think this is going to happen, I don't think you think it's going to happen, but were to somehow you know, gather together and say, hey, let's be reasonable. Let's actually try to govern. Let's set aside some of this nonsense that you know, only extremists care about. I mean, look, everyone who's paying attention and isn't an extremist already knows that Hunter Biden is a douchebag and is absolutely using his, his name to benefit himself and probably his debt. Everyone knows it. 
right? And, and what benefit will there be in, you know, sidetracking our sole group that can govern, right? I mean, for better or for worse, it's just the Congress that can pass law, right? There's no backup plan. There's not like there's six dudes in Poughkeepsie who can say, you know what, we'll take over. You guys turn yourselves into an investigative body, right? It, it just doesn't matter. Even if the Republicans were to get themselves together, take a deep breath, say, hey, let's be reasonable and rational. Let's try to govern. Maybe that's what the people of the United States actually want from their leadership. Let's try it. Even if they were to do that, if Trump announces that he's going to run for re-election, then every time the, a Republican Congress goes to pass a law on anything, right, on banning rabid dogs from running around elementary schools, the Democrats are going to say, well, that's Trump's policy. That's what Donald Trump wants. You're just putting Trump's agenda in front of the United States. That will be their story, no matter what the actual legislation is, in an effort to you know, whip up fear and concern about Trump. And so just nothing will happen. And every time the Democrats put something forward, even if it were a law allowing rabid dogs to run around elementary schools, if the Republicans blocked it, then the Democratic spiel is going to be, you're just blocking that because Trump doesn't want it. It's all about Trump, Trump, Trump. And that's all we're going to hear for two years. It's just crazy town. And when you take a look at the pockets of success, I mean, Ron DeSantis, who is a great governor in, yeah. in the state of Florida, won by 20 points. The problem is that you're going to get, uh, I think, a primary with Trump sort of being the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And when he runs, and if he wins, he's going to probably lose to Biden again. And if he runs and, um, and doesn't win, he's going to take the ball and go home, and he's not going to support the other, the other candidates. And that's probably enough in some of those rural swing districts to tilt the scale for a Democratic presidential candidate. So- you know, unfortunately, that's where you that's where you end up when you sort of let your party be hijacked by a personality and not by a movement with some philosophical underpinning. In it. And I think that's where the Republicans are on the Democratic side. The big, uh, you know, all the big governors that people thought were in trouble, like Hochul in New York and the one in like crazy woman in Michigan and, and uh, uh, your, your boy, Gavin Newsom in California, they all won. And even when some of those races were supposed to be tight, they really weren't. Um, so people came out to vote in those states and voted for really anti-business, anti-police um, environments to create terrible crime because the opponents were all hand chosen by the MAGA group and they weren't good candidates and they couldn't make a compelling case for change in an environment that was ripe for change. So, you know, that, that's, the, that's the problem. Oh, buddy, that's it. I mean, you and I have talked about it time and time again. I mean, we get what we vote for in a democracy. We get what we vote for. And I guess if you feel like, you know, voting for an economy that isn't going to be good for your family, voting for a crime situation that isn't going to be good for your family, uh, you know, voting for some of these just crazy policies with regard to energy is all better than voting for someone that, you know, Donald Trump spoke up for. I, I, okay, but I, I really hope that that wasn't the case. I mean, I, I, I suspect it was, but man, you are, I mean, ignore Donald Trump. If he comes out and endorses a candidate, fine, ignore that. If he comes out and doesn't endorse a candidate, ignore that. Look at the quality of the candidate and vote accordingly, right? I mean, I, I, I really hope there, that some of these folks whose policies obviously don't work and whose policies are obviously harming their constituencies 
weren't reelected just because someone said, I refuse to vote for a person that Donald Trump endorsed, regardless of their quality as a candidate. And I agree with you that in many cases, the candidate quality was poor, but you and I have talked about this as well, right? I mean, what are you going to do when running in a, when being in politics and running for office just sucks, right? When, when you know, the media is following you around, following your spouse around, following your kids around, dredging up, you know, everything that you that you're not proud of, or even if even if it's not something you did that you're being alleged to have done, now you got to prove a negative. Hey, I didn't do that. I mean, you can see why normal, everyday, you know, high quality, high character Americans don't want to become involved in politics. And then what you're left with are the folks no one wants to vote for. Yep, that's exactly right, Brad. Well, before we take a break, let's just say quickly that uh, you can learn more about our show on our website ipfrequently.com. Follow us on Instagram and all the other social media platforms at IP underscore frequently. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and recommend us to uh, all your friends. In uh, particular, we like to uh, promote the Salem Podcast Network, Salem Podcast. Uh, We are uh, on there with some luminaries who uh, predicted a red wave. We, of course, did not. We were uh, right on the money, uh, as always. And uh, why don't we take a quick break, Brad, and uh, we'll be right back. Yeah, you get yourself back in here to headquarters, and uh, we'll both broadcast from here. Uh, Next, Brad, back to monkeypox. Of course, monkeypox is sweeping the nation. It's the new pandemic. Um, And uh, this week it was reported by the the big uh, NIAID agency, the National Institute for the Advancement of Infectious Diseases. For the advancement of them? Uh, well, again, I'm, I'm just going by. Right, you're just reading. I get it. I got it. Uh, the, <laughs> well, actually, in this case, it's true. The government lab in Maryland, the NIAID lab, is in the process of creating a hybrid monkeypox strain that is more deadly than the one currently spreading in the U.S. They're attempting to make the current dominant uh strain more lethal and infect mice. Uh, the aim of the project is to spur the development of better drugs for humans with the monkeypox. Um, but of course, it comes with growing concerns that COVID itself came out of a uh, COVID-19 came out of a, uh, a lab in Wuhan, China. And this too could come out of the lab similar to the plot of the latest. Uh, what was that? The Avengers movie or what was the, the Avengers or the the other one with the blue girl and the guy in the wheelchair, whatever that's called. I, I don't watch any of that sci-fi fantasy stuff, but uh, yeah. So it's, uh, I, I guess the question is, what do we think about this? Do we think it's a good idea for us to be uh, monkeying around with the monkey pox? But neither you nor I are trained virologists. We're not microbiologists. You know, we don't do this for a living. I, I, I suppose that if the way you get to you know better vaccines, better treatment modalities is to experiment with more virulent and dangerous forms of you know, currently you know out there viruses, ones that are being passed from human to human or from animal to human, et cetera. I, okay, right? I, I, I'm not in a position to say that's not how you do it. I don't know. But the last thing I want to hear coming out of any of those labs is, whoo, it's getting hot in here. Can you crack a window? Yeah. Right. Like, like you, if you, if that's your job, okay. Then you have to take it very seriously. Like don't, 
screw that up. I, I imagine there's, you know, somewhere between three to four people listening to this very fine program who have that for a job. Great. Good for you. Do a good job. We like our vaccines. We appreciate the effort. Keep that shit buttoned up. Okay. Like we don't need, we don't need more Wuhan screen door on the lab action, right? Keep that stuff under wraps in the lab. Yeah. In the lab, right. In the lab have, you know, I, I recommend having more than one, you know, like a little airlock situation, right? I imagine they do, but let's not just be, you know, ventilating that place. If it gets warm in there, right, you are authorized to roll up your sleeves, okay? Other than that, no, you're just going to have to ride it out. Yeah, I think that's right. Again, if you're going to the Chipotle or, um, you know, the, uh, the Moe's Mexican Grill for lunch, recommendation is just get a DoorDash, have them do a non-contact delivery. It'll be easier on everybody and uh, it should all be fine. I I would think at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't, you know, buddy, just the name monkeypox, like COVID sounds very scientific, but not particularly threatening monkeypox. I don't care what you don't want that. Okay. If someone says, Hey, I got a, you know, a little, little stash of monkeypox over here. You interested? The answer is no. Right. I mean, you don't, you don't have to know anything about it. You don't have to know what it does. The mere name monkey and pox together, you're, you're not you're not looking for that. And so, you know, if you're messing with making monkey pox, something called monkey pox worse then you know, wash your hands before you go home. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's probably a good probably a good idea. Next, Brad, unsolved mysteries, unsolved mysteries. They, a lot of mysteries survives survive surrounds the Playboy Mansion. Of course, Playboy Mansion is one of the iconic uh, locations in the world. It's up there with, I believe, Camelot and um, uh, some of those uh, pyramids out there in the uh, in the Egypt uh, and uh, a lot of the stuff that goes on in the Atlantis. Uh, but the Playboy Mansion, it's sort of been a black box uh, for years. James Conn, of course, lived there for most of the 1970s. Uh, but people always wanted to know what went on behind closed doors there. And it turns out that there was a lot of uh, caterwauling uh, by one Hugh Hefner, who's now dead, of course. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think we mentioned him in an RIP report a couple of years ago. But it turns out that the secret, the mystery surrounding how Hugh Hefner uh, enticed so many women is that he would, quote, fake cry for sex. Uh, this is something that's come out in a new book where former Playboy buddies are finally speaking out on the record. Um, and it turns out that pity, Brad, pity, was the tool that uh, uh, Hugh Hefner used to entice a lot of these uh, um, ladies uh, into his uh, boudoir, so to speak. And then, uh, and then, you know, whatever happened there, they're consenting adults. So I guess you sort of look the other way, but uh, it, who would have known that pity and, and, and tears would make such a difference? Yeah. I, you know, but I'm, I'm always a little cautious when it comes to, Hey, now this guy's dead and is incapable of defending himself or even just, you know, telling his side of the story. So now I'm going to write a book that I obviously hope to monetize. And so I'm always a little, you know, suspect at that series of events, which, you know, thankfully neither you nor I are famous. So the odds that anyone will choose to, you know, besmirch us in writing subsequent to our death is low. But like I said, I mean, I always take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. But, you know, Hugh Hefner was an odd duck. And so I I would not put it past him to, you know, sort of use whatever manipulative techniques he could use. 
But I, I do find myself asking, if you're Hugh Hefner, right? And so Hugh Hefner had a few things going for him, particularly when it came to the, you know, sort of 60s and 70s, you know, free love environment. Mm-hmm. He had a few things going for him. I, I, I am a little, again, suspect, I guess, about that guy having to cry for sex, but I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not an, I'm not an expert in, in any of that, frankly. Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know anything about it. It's just that sometimes when you get, the, when you have <clears throat> these unsolved mysteries, um, it's sort of a, a riddle wrapped inside of an enigma wrapped inside of a walnut. And mm. then, you know, you get insight into what under, I mean, look, for example, at, at Bessie, the Loch Ness monster, um, yeah, I mean, no one believed that until we sort of revealed the fact that that is truly a sea monster at the bottom of that lock, Ness. Yeah, it's the, uh, I believe that is the name of the lock. They call it Ness. So when you mm-hmm. approach that lock, you say, we're getting close to the lock Ness, and there's potentially a monster in here. That's right. what you say. Yeah. Correct. So anyway, that's that's my point. And I think, I think it's pretty clear what that what that all means. Next, Brad, it seems like this woke culture is um, is upon us. I mean, you see it out in Berkeley. You also see it in New Jersey. Of course, our old stomping grounds, I believe, Brad, we've spent countless hours at the Vince Lombardi rest stop exit 18A off the uh, New Jersey turnpike in, enjoying Taco Bell. And I believe there's a Sparrow there. I mean, I think you and I spent a week there one summer. We did. At least it felt like it. Well, Brad, I give you uh, South Orange, New Jersey, very close to the um, very close to the. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Uh, South Orange, very close to the uh, rest stop, very close to the turnpike, uh, sort of central south north of um, of uh, New Jersey, that part of the uh, the Garden State, which actually is an oxymoron in itself. Um, But Thomas Jefferson Elementary School, which is a great elementary school in South Orange. Uh, good teachers, good scores, as far as I can uh, understand. Um, Thomas Jefferson Elementary School <clears throat> has been uh, stripped of its name because of the um, fact that Thomas Jefferson was a controversial figure who didn't do much for our society. And it has been renamed uh, after uh, the uh, um, a local black woman, African-American woman named Diala Jenkins, I believe. Diala Jenkins' claim to fame is not that she went to this this school or um, did anything of note. It's just that she is a local resident who graduated from a high school in a budding town. And so you see more and more, uh, Brad, a lot of our history being wiped away and not really in a thoughtful way, not really in a way that would allow us to uh, say, okay, well, this is a sensible transition to someone else who contributed to society, but more in just trying to strike back at uh, some of the uh, people who are instrumental in forming our, our our country because of some of the flaws in their background. Yeah, well, of course, this country sucks, buddy. I mean, you've got miserable things you have to deal with here, like personal freedom, um, like the one of the highest you know, statuses of living anywhere in the world, the ability to l- elect your own representatives to government, the ability to be fully educated through a public school system, now the ability to be proud to say that you graduated from Diala Jenkins Elementary School mm-hmm. in South Orange, New Jersey, uh, you know, the, the ability to make of yourself whatever you would choose to do. Uh, all of those things are just, you know, it's just miserable to have to live here. 
And, uh, you know, so I, again, I, I encourage folks to, you know, not take it lying down. I mean, leave this country, right? It clearly is miserable and we don't have a border uh, one way or the other. I mean, you can come and go from this country as you see fit. So if you find it to be miserable, and I can certainly understand why you do, all you have to do is look around the rest of the planet to see that this is clearly the armpit of said planet, and you should exercise the rights granted here to get out. Yeah, and it, and it seems like, you know, people uh, like this board just sort of make these decisions, not in a thoughtful way, but in a way to sort of make it, send a lesson or a message. And the lesson it teaches to the students is not great. I mean, there's a way to teach Thomas Jefferson's background and the important contributions he made to this country with the um, lesson that slavery, slavery is abhorrent and, and all that, but they don't even try to do that. Uh, next, Brad, Unsolved Mysteries. This week, we explore the LPGA tour, not the fact that there are a lot of Subaru Foresters in the parking lot of all LPGA events, but rather the question that you and I have asked so often, can a biological male play on the LPGA tour? And to solve this mystery, it's obviously wrapped in an enigma and a riddle and in a chestnut. Um, we give you uh, Haley Davidson. Haley Davidson, 29, is, uh, is, is currently on pace to qualify for the Ladies Professional Golf Association Tour, LPGAP. Um, and uh, she's out there just killing it, a lot like that swimmer from UPenn. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, it looks like a biological male can play on the LPGA tour. Of course, there's a lot of uproar about this folks saying that because Haley Davidson is a biological male, that it's unfair that when she hits the ball, it goes a lot farther. Um, and obviously if you put Jack Nicholas on the golf course with uh, um, one of the top uh, female golfers of the eighties or Tiger Woods in the two thousands, it wouldn't be close. Um, but in this case, they are letting this young man go forward uh, with uh, her, her her tour card, getting her tour card. And so we are going to see probably our first biological male, Brad, on the ladies PGA tour. And that is another unsolved mystery that you and I have solved. Yeah. So there you go. If you're wondering if there was going to be a dude playing women's golf, the answer is yes. Um, you might say to yourself, well, golly, I mean, wonder if there's anything you have to do uh, to make that happen. If you are a, you know, third rate professional hopeful in the sport of golf and you would like to get on some tour and perhaps get paid, you look down, you see that you have male genitalia, you realize, well, golly, that's not going to happen for me. And then you realize, wait a minute, if I just say that I identify as a woman, then I can go and get my LPGA tour card and, you know, take advantage of all the aspects of being a male, hit the ball farther, hit the ball harder, et cetera, and, uh, you know, get paid for doing it. Yep. Bingo. Bingo. So that's another unsolved mystery like the Yeti. We put that behind us. We are now uh, just cutting through unsolved mysteries like hot knives through butter, my friend. Next, Brad, wedding season is coming up, and uh, we have learned now that there are some uh, – uh, <clears throat> things to avoid. Of course, you and I attend, we're invited to many weddings over the summer season and, uh, things to avoid. Apparently, um, 
it, it's a lot more of a treacherous minefield than one would think. Uh, recently, a, uh, a, a wedding in, uh, in Florida, in uh, South Central Florida, went awry when the uh, bride and the caterer um, laced some of the food and drink with um, uh, what appears to be medicinal marijuana. This included uh, bread, uh, like a like a nice bruschette type deal, uh, some pasta, in particular a lasagna, and desserts, including what are described as pudding shooters. Um, many of the guests suddenly started feeling woozy and giggly shortly after dinner was served. Many of them had to sleep in their cars in the venue's parking lot. Um, and, uh, a couple of them, uh, elderly people were rushed immediately to the, uh, to the hospital, the caterers who were caught, uh, out back of the venue, trying to quickly get away, uh, get away, um, were apprehended now face felony charges for allegedly drugging the guests at this, uh, um, at this wedding. And apparently the caterer was in cahoots with the bride who thought that this would be a good idea. Uh, 30 years in prison is the potential, um, uh, uh, potential uh, punishment for the caterer. And I believe the bride as well. And uh, Bryant's uh, Southern kitchen in Orlando is the catering service uh, that uh, saw many of its employees piling into cars uh, when they uh, heard the police sirens and attempting to flee the flee the scene, not exactly sure what the motivation was behind this, but I think for all those small business owners out there and the families of small business owners and just everyone else in general, this is a good uh, telltale sign about what to avoid at uh, weddings. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have that caterer on the list for your small business summer picnic, you may want to reconsider. You may not. I don't know. I mean, it depends on how you feel about lacing food with various and sundry uh, medicinal or non-medicinal chemicals that don't belong in the food. Uh, but that's something to look at as a small business owner. I'm not really sure how anybody thought they were going to get away with this. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, you know what, buddy? It is Orlando. A lot of crazy things happen in Orlando. You've got a lot of amusement parks there. Um, you know, Disney obviously has had their difficulties as of late there. I mean, maybe this is just the way you respond to those sort of difficulties is you just say, let's get everybody high, whether they want to or not. And, you know, worst case, they got to sleep in their car, but everyone will feel better and, you you know, we'll move on from there. But I, I, again, I'm not, I, you would love to be, have been present as a fly on the wall for the conversation between the bride and the caterer about, Hey, what do you think about just lacing the chow with some weed? What do you think? And the caterer going, yeah, you know what? I can see that. Let's do that. What could possibly go wrong? We'll continue to monitor this. And again, for those of you going out to weddings, first of all, lasagna is not an appropriate wedding food. And anyone who gives you that, yeah, anyone who gives you that, you shouldn't eat it anyway. So it's on you, really. And then pudding shooters, anyone that has a pudding shooter, um, uh, watch out. But we'll put some of the footage of this. I mean, it was a gorgeous wedding. There were people sitting on what appear to be park benches, um, sipping <laughs> what now Putting we know shooters. to be marijuana yeah. laced champagne, but uh, who uh, who knows? Uh, next, Brad, um, we've got another. Uh, remember the, the, the story a couple of years ago where we were talking about the um, when the, uh, the that art museum in Chicago fired all of the white oh, yeah. patrons. Yeah, remember that? Yes. So, uh, and, 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 you know, we said this is crazy and this wouldn't stand. And then they ended up just having to 
basically shut down all the private tours of the uh, of the uh, art museum because of it. And all the all the tour, the guided tours of the art museum. Yeah, the last thing you want is an art tour from Whitey. I mean, come yeah. on. So now, Brad, and this is this is really what we call the bizmen here, right? We're zeroing in on the bizmen. The people want more biz talk, and mm-hmm. this is the bizmen. So we're going to call it the bizmen, B-I-Z. Men mm-hmm. and uh, I bring you to the beautiful progressive city of Minneapolis, home of Mullah Omar, by the way, the uh, representative yeah. from Minneapolis. Indeed, who I also believe is a member of the Taliban. Could be. I certainly don't know that she isn't. Could be. So, of course, the Minneapolis Teachers Union has negotiated its new contract. You and I have been following that as part of the. Uh, uh, the whole electoral map thing I just alluded to. Although, Brad, I, I will say we followed the Medina situation a little more closely than this. Yeah. Well, but, but it's, it's still at a distance. Let's be clear. So big, uh, big strike in Minneapolis where all of the teachers went out and strike this past year. And then they came back to the bargaining table. They bargained collectively and some not. And uh, they've entered into a new contract. And the contract states that uh, white educators are to be laid off first, regardless of seniority, uh, to make up for past discrimination. So this is built into the teacher's contract. But uh, anyway, Brad, what do you think about this? Do you think this is a good contract and this teacher's union has done its members proud? Well, I mean, right from the jump, obviously, it's unconstitutional, right? Now, I don't know if anybody's going to protest, right? I don't know if anyone's going to, you know, I'm, I'm sure eventually someone will get laid off, think they didn't deserve it. And, you know, we'll use this as a lever. But if they collectively bargained for this, right, then theoretically, you know, the teachers union said, yeah, we as a union are all in here. But I, I, I mean, I, I just at, at some point in time, don't we have to, you know, kind of stop and go, well, wait a minute. Once again, we're setting ourselves up for horrific failure here, right? By not, as you pointed out, taking a merit-based approach and deciding who best can we find to teach our children, right? So let's not get too far away from the fact that we're talking about a teacher's union, right? So teacher's unions are problematic because right off the bat, they take the, the question of, well, should this person even be in the classroom out, right? You remember the union? You get treated like you're a member of any other union. There's there's no real meritocracy here. But now you've taken it even a step further away from the questions that should be asked, like, hey, is this person a good teacher? Do they belong in the classroom? Can they get the children's attention? Can they impart wisdom and knowledge to them? You've taken that out. You haven't even gone to, well, they've been at it a while, right? You've removed that from the equation and just said, we're just going to look and see what color they are. Mm-hmm. And if they're the wrong color, we're going to get rid of them. If the Minneapolis Teachers Union is allowed to get away with this precedent, there is nothing that can prevent that precedent from being stood on its head in the next agreement to say, you know what, we're going to get rid of uh, you know everybody who's this color, right? I mean, we allowed it last time, and, and last time we chose white, but this time we choose a different color, and we're just going to get rid of that color. See, I, I, this whole blindness to the long-term effect of what you are doing, I just find startling by the left. And I'm sure there are many in the Minneapolis Teachers Union high-fiving and cackling and talking about how great this is that we're going to you know, take out any form of past bias on the current teachers, right? I mean, just that is unjust, right? To say, well, you know, X number of years ago, potentially a bad thing happened. So 
this guy over here is going to you know, have to pay the price. You set aside the fact that that's just ridiculous. You are setting a precedent for the very thing that you say you want to avoid, which is racial bias. You are establishing a foundation for the allowance of racial bias. What is wrong with you? Not you, well, buddy, but you know, the, the sort of, yes, the, the royal you. And just to be clear, the uh, Minneapolis Teachers Union is also known as the MTU. Ah, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's what could possibly go wrong here? I mean, all we're doing is stoking more racial division, and uh, I'm sure I'm sure it will end very well. Next, Brad, we have a royal update. Big news out of Norway, the uh, land of the north, one of the many senseless European uh, countries that still have these um, – wasteful uh, monarchs running around. Um, Princess Marta Louise of Norway, Brad, 50 years old, um, has announced that she is engaged uh, once again. And of course, you remember Princess Marta is um, is the, uh, the, the sort of the tragic princess of Norway um, whose uh, husband uh, committed suicide three years ago after a tumultuous point uh, in their marriage. Uh, she is now engaged to her American spiritual advisor boyfriend, Shaman Durek. Uh, of course, Shaman Durek, you and I, Brad, are familiar with him. He's someone that people go to uh, when they need advice on their uh, spiritual life. Of course, Gwyneth Patrol uh, has used him. Uh, I believe there are others, but I'm not exactly sure who they are. Um, and uh, this is exciting times. We never thought that uh, Prince Martha would turn it around after sort of pushing her ex-husband to suicide. But now it looks like she has not only um, found a new husband, but uh, it is the guru, Shaman Durek, uh, who is uh, one of the patrol's guru. So what say, is this a, is it an exciting day in, in your uh, uh, view for the uh, Norwegian royal family? Oh, buddy, that's that's quite a collection of you know sort of nut jobs they have there, like all aggregated in one story. So you got Gwyneth P P Patrol, Paltrow, whatever she's Patrol. clearly a nut, and then you have a monarch of a Scandinavian country who is bereft as she has driven her husband to suicide, and so for whatever reason she turns to this guy. Now I would like to think that if you were royalty in almost any country that you could have someone point you in the general direction of a fully qualified therapist of some sort. But you're telling me that what the princess here has done fully 50 years old. So we're talking about a, a grown ass woman here <laughs> has decided to go to a spiritual advisor outside of her own country, who at one point in time was advising good old Gwyneth there and She's so taken with him that she is now going to marry him, making him, I presume, some sort of prince or duke or perhaps constable. Yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I do know this. I do know that Direk, the guru, did things the right way. And even though even though the princess, Princess Marta, is 50 some odd years old, uh, he went to King Harold. Right. King Harold of Norway, of course, the great the great northern king, king of the north. Um, yeah. And, you know, he, he, he said, I quote, um, I wanted to do things in a respectful way. I'm very old fashioned in the way I do things. So therefore, I sat down with King Harold and Queen Sonia. 
and ask them, and both of whom are 90, uh, and ask them for their daughter's hand in marriage. If they had said no, I wouldn't have gone ahead with it. But now that they've approved, we will. I mean, that that is the right way to do it. No? Well, that is the right way to do it. Yeah. I mean, if you are going to marry a woman of any age, quite frankly, and her parents are still among the living, then you should, as a matter of course, ask for that woman's hand in marriage. I did that. You did that. That That is the gentlemanly, proper thing to do. I mean, no father has anything more valuable to him than his daughter or daughters. And so that is the appropriate thing to do. Uh, I, I'm still, I'm a little, again, and God bless them. I hope their marriage works out very, very well. I certainly don't wish them any ill. I don't know anything about either of them. I'm just a little concerned that a princess is using a spiritual advisor. And were I her dad, I would probably have a few questions for said advisor before I gave the old head nod. But you know what? Maybe if I was 90 and a king, I got better things to do. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, King Harold, obviously a, a, a wonderful monarch, a good, uh, good leader. He's obviously steered the Norwegian ship through thick and thin. I mean, he was around during the big one. Oh, uh, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, and Norway is not an easy country to govern. They have fjords there. Most people don't. So there's not a lot of places you can turn to for help when there's a fjord crisis. And uh, so I'm sure Harold has been, you know, through the ringer himself more than once, probably knows what he's doing. And I guess if he accepted Mr. Durek as, uh, as his future son-in-law, good for him. But uh, the whole thing just seems a wee bit odd. Well, it is odd. It'll probably be a movie of the week at some point if they still do those or a Hallmark film. But, uh, you know, quite frankly, I think it's lovely and I'm excited for the lovely, lovely couple. And, and for King Harold, he's been waiting a long time. I mean, that suicide was only like a year and a half ago. So he's been waiting to marry her off. Yeah. I mean, he's been, she's been back in the house. She's probably been busting his balls. You know, dad, can I do this? Dad, can I do that? Where are the car keys? And so, you know, he's just been thinking to himself, when is she going to find herself another husband? You know, maybe it'll be a spiritual advisor. We'll kill two birds with one stone. And boom, there you go. It is a, uh, it is a Royal romance. There it is. There it is. Very exciting. And we'll be looking forward to that wedding. And uh, Brad, next we go to the big uh, Betty White update. We talked about the, uh, how to uh, kill your husband uh, uh, author, uh, Mm -hmm. who was Mm -hmm. a wonderful woman who in fact did kill her husband. This week, Brad, we uh, we check in on the notorious Las Vegas black widow who spent uh, I think almost 20 years in jail for uh, killing her millionaire husband um, for his money, uh, obviously, and some insurance. Uh, she was convicted. She spent about 20 years of a life sentence in jail. Uh, Margaret Rudden, I believe. I believe she was once. She's 78 now. I believe she was once a Miss USA pageant contestant, but I'm not not 100 sure. Uh, the uh, courts in uh, the state of Nevada have thrown out her um, uh, conviction because her lawyer was quote useless and <laughs> didn't apply even the basic defense that she would need. In fact, maybe she's not a black widow at all, although she seems to be. Um, But uh, there were a bunch of different antics by her lawyer, Michael Amador, who I believe, Brad, we're familiar with. I believe he's worked for us on a number of occasions. He's done a number of our appeals based on our win-loss record. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So he was apparently negotiating media rights to her story as the Black Widow during the uh, during the um, trial. He was also negotiating his own book deal. I represented the Black Widow. Nice, catchy title. Yeah. Um, and uh, about 20 years later, he has uh, he has been sort of called to the carpet. Uh, he also leaked information to tabloids and failed to prepare <laughs> or interview any of his witnesses before he put him on the stand. And uh, I guess, Brad, in America, um, this type of thing won't fly. And uh, it looks like Miss Rudden is uh, free and apparently free to marry. Uh, I, I think there's probably some money left, but it's probably free to go and marry uh, Rich again and, and potentially move on to uh, um, uh, another more competent lawyer for her next trial. Yeah. Anybody, you know, the obvious question here is, what took 20 years? Well, I mean, listen, I, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it was a pretty famous trial back in uh, 2001, uh, mm -hmm. $8 million at stake. He had at the time of his death, including some real estate. Apparently someone shot him in the head in the couple's bed and um, uh, we somehow got locked in the trunk of her car. And then he was burned and dumped in the Mojave Desert. Um, this was after uh, the wife, the black widow, Margaret Rudin, learned that uh, her husband had filed uh, divorce papers or was in the process of doing so. And uh, I think the, the fact that uh, uh, he had filed for divorce, they found uh, DNA all over her um, and in her car. And then there was some linkage between her car and the Mojave Desert where he was dumped. I think that was the circumstantial case that the DA had put together. Um, but again, Brad, it doesn't seem, um, uh, you know, like it's uh, like it's a slam dunk. And, and her lawyer, had he applied very basic skills, probably would have resulted in her not getting out at this point. Yeah. It's one of those ironic cases where if she'd had a better lawyer, she would still be in jail. Mm -hmm. but, but there's a lesson here for all of us. If you're a wealthy guy and you have married a crazy person, and you have also filed for divorce from said crazy person, wear a helmet to bed. What's wrong with you? I mean, shouldn't that be obvious? Yeah, or, or sleep in the guest room that night. I you mean, could you do that. Cut off, you sleep in the guest room. But I think, you know, just putting on the helmet, fasten the chin strap, get in your bed, it sends a message. I know you're gonna try and shoot me, you crazy bee, right? And I think that probably, you know, maybe brings you back to the table, Maybe you can work some things out. Who knows? But if you if you are in that set of circumstances, you're wealthy, you're married to a crazy person, and you filed for divorce, and you don't wear a helmet to bed, you're a dope. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I guess it does beg the question, right? Because we do follow these uh, newsworthy items because we want to inform our small business owners at home, especially those who are thinking about a divorce. Uh, would you rather marry the Black Widow or the author of How to Murder Your Husband? Or both, a thruple, maybe a thruple. Well, that's what I see, buddy. Great minds. That's what I was going to say. You get into a thruple, and then, you know, if you're the one in the middle, um, then you can just sort of be dropping hints on either side to the Black Widow and to the I Killed My Husband author about what the other one is saying to you. Hello, and uh, yeah, and then, buddy, you find yourself suddenly in a, in a single and in a much better place. And you've rid the world of two crazy people. Yeah, I um, look, I think uh, I think that's exactly right. Uh, but we'll, we'll continue to monitor this. And, and look, I hope she finds true love. I think she's probably looking for that.
there you have it. Uh, we've solved yet another problem. And you will find us doing exactly that right back here next week on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome. <laughs>